0: This episode of This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty is brought to you by Plaza Cable. Welcome to This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode, 54. In this episode, we speak with Melanie Chartoff. Melanie played Robin in the season five Seinfeld episode, The Fire. She was also in the series finale. If you did get pass it on, follow us, subscribe, iTunes, YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, at This Thirsty. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 54, Melanie Chardock. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 54. In this episode, we welcome a veteran actress of the stage, screen, and television. She's the author of a well received book, Odd Woman Out, an exposure of essays and stories. She burst onto the scene on the ABC late night live comedy hit Fridays. You know her from Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Rugrats, All Grown Up, and of course, as Robin in the series, in the season five Seinfeld episode. Uh, written by Larry Charles the Fire. Uh, Please welcome Melanie (laughs) Chartoff. Melanie, thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you.
2: Melanie, it's such an honor to have you on on the show. Um, So Seinfeld, take us back 1994. um, Obviously, you did Fridays with uh, Larry David, Michael Richards. We know the connection with uh, Hirschfeld, right? Probably with Married with Children and Parker Lewis Can't Lose, but how did, the, how did the Robin role come about? Can you touch on that a little bit? And was there an audition?
1: Uh, actually, no. Um, I had known Larry for a very long time before we did Fridays, actually. We were kind of both failures at, at stand-up at the Improv Club in New York. I won't say failures. Everybody found <laughs> it very interesting. But we both had premise acts that weren't really meant for stand-up. They were meant for other things, hence my book. Mm. Uh, we just hadn't found our forms yet, clearly. Larry found his forms. Um, so he felt very familiar to me when we went and did Fridays together. It was like my cousin was there. It was kind of comforting in a way. And um, I remember I had a FEMA guy here. We had just had the earthquake in 1994. And he was sorting through the bricks in my chimney that had collapsed. It was like dominoes. Everybody's chimneys fell to everybody else's oh, driveways on this block. And I was in a whole other place when um, a producer called my agent, and my agent called me on a Sunday asking if I could come come in really fast and do this role they were writing in for me, A New Girlfriend for George. And so we haggled it out, and of course I said yes. It wasn't my favorite role I had seen, but some of the girlfriend roles had some really funny business. And I was basically a straight girlfriend whose only distinction was that she had a child. (laughs) And this was new to George. And um, so I said yes, because I wasn't sure how long the show would run, if there'd be another offer. And I guess I went in the next day, and uh, we rehearsed a little, and then we shot it the next day. It was a very quick kind of spin around. And um, for the show, it was kind of momentous, because this was the episode where I have a child. I'm having a birthday party for the child. My mother on the walker is at the party. (laughs) All these little children are playing happily, and uh, there's a hamburger fire in the kitchen. And in his uh, desire to get the hell out of the apartment before anybody else, he knocks over my mother on the walker and most of the small children. Yes. Uh, And then we have a confrontation later in the episode where the fireman Bozo the Clown, played by, um, oh, the guy that directed Iron Man. John,
0: John Favreau.
1: Oh, John Favreau, yeah, yeah, John Favreau. A clown. Yeah, like yeah. the clown, just like most of the Clown. of the Clown. yeah. And um, and the fire department and myself, we were all putting George on the pillory, saying, "Why did you knock everybody over?" And he said he was leading the way out.
0: Yeah, and, of course he was. A, yeah. and he was the hero, and who's
1: Women and children should go first. <laughs> so that was oh, yeah. that piece of Larry's mis- misanthropy to come. You know where he sort of. Uh, it's like don quixote lancing at don quixote lancing and all the traditions uh, of your and and finding fault with them and and questioning everything and changing the reality so
0: yeah it was a, it was a classic george for sure um you, you know you mentioned your your book as as far as you know maybe finding your voice um it, it's a very um uh, personal personal book i mean you 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 definitely the, the title speaks for itself an exposure of essays i mean um was it cathartic to write i have to just kind of ask you off the top as, as sort of a, i think of myself as a writer sometimes myself but i mean it must have been cathartic to to write those stories and kind of get it out there was it the first time you told some of those stories or
1: well and in all actuality i had been doing them um on stage at Sit and Spin, which is a Comedy Central shoot okay. um, and various theaters around town, trying them out. Um, trying them out In front of a live event. audience? What?
0: In front of a live audience?
1: Yes, in front of live wow. audiences. Comedy Central always film them. God knows for what purpose, but they always <laughs> film them. So I have copies of them. And um, for various venues around town, uh, there's a, an organization called Jewish Women's Theater that wanted to do one of my uh, stories as a play. Okay. So I was in that play. There were other characters in it. Um, if you read the first story about the gynecologist. Yes. And the prescription <laughs> he gave me to go to the Hustler store. People, yes. played, people played the Entertainment Tonight director and Larry Flynn. And people played the gynecologist. It was like a play. Oh, cool. And then I was um, commissioned to do a one-woman show for the uh, Joshua Tree Comedy Festival one summer. And I called the musical Odd Woman Out, had a lot of songs in it, and some of these very stories, which I acted out. And then a, an agent came to see it, and she said, I'm a literary agent, and this is a book, and you better go write it. And so I, I took a year, took her advice, she kind of mentored me, and um, took 35 of the many stories of my life that had in moments of realization or enlightenment in them. Some of them took place against the backdrops of theater Broadway theater or television, for the most part it's about my inner life and the way it shifted in the context of what I was living as an actor
0: yeah I mean it's it, like you said, it definitely um, sheds light on you know a lot of its coming of age stuff you know it's definitely something that I think um, i don't I don't want to say it's particularly just for women but i think i think young women would get something out of it as far as the coming of age stuff per se but i mean i am getting a lot out of it too just you know as as from a guy's perspective some of the stories i mean some of them are you know a lot of it's from the female perspective so it's interesting to hear um one of the ones you know while we're talking about that i found fascinating was um at all my children when you were returning writing returned fan mails i forgot the actor's name but the star of the show like is that, was that a common occurrence just on a side note of like, just hire, like you were the, people all over the, the country were thinking they were getting, you know, letters from him. I mean, while you just like using your imagination and things like that, I would think almost from, a, from, an, from an artistic sense, you must have gotten a lot of, out of that just to be able to come up with these ideas and these stories of what you're going to write to these people, maybe putting yourself in the, in the kid's shoes, who's writing to him. I don't know if you can maybe talk a little bit about that for people that haven't read the book, but it's, it's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a power trip to be this hunky um, television star named Richard Hatch, actually, Richard Hatch, and um, pretend to be, you know, the kind of uh, tender lover that all these young girls would want, to be kind and interested and uh, noblesse oblige, like coming down from the kingly dais to to talk to these little girls wherever they might be. So, yes, it was a great acting role, actually. It was... uh, Kind of a precursor to being a playwright and writing in men's voices and writing in all kinds of people's voices who I hadn't experienced, who I had to imagine. And um, I later had people writing for me when I was getting bags and bags of fan mail. Um, I always kind of gave them a hint as to how I wanted to handle things with young men. I didn't want to give too much of myself because they might get the wrong idea. That happened a lot, by the way, and <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. Um, so yeah, I think it's a very common occurrence. I think a lot of people are overwhelmed and want to be personable, you know, with people that are watching them. So um sure. yeah, it was fun to do that.
2: And uh speaking of hunks, to bring it back to Seinfeld, you were like <laughs> you mentioned you were George's uh girlfriend. And it's funny, like you're a you're such a comedian, but you played like you mentioned like straight laced kind of mother. Yeah. But it's funny, like I I watched the episode and the first when we saw your name, we like, oh, Melanie, she was always George's girlfriend. It felt like you were just always there. Like just, it was, it was so interesting that you just kind of played George's girlfriend so well. Um, but you mentioned his monologue, like how, that had to just be amazing on set, right? To to listen to that monologue about the fire and then you like giving it to him. I mean, how many takes, any funny stories behind that that specific scene?
1: No, I wanted another take and Larry wouldn't let me do it. I thought I'd come down too hard on George. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you are yelling at him quite a bit. No,
1: I dug it. He said, that's it, one take. And it was, you know, basically we were winging it. Uh, You know, Larry isn't one to give you scripts well in advance and lock you in. He kind of likes to stay loose and and free. Um, So it was a hilarious monologue. What can I say? A typical... uh, Never mea culpa. George was never guilty of anything. And that was another situation where he exonerated himself by his own warped philosophy. So it was really fun to be a part of it. And of course, the final Seinfeld, I guess you've spoken to other people who are in that.
0: A few, yeah. but we want to get your take for sure. If You want, to, yeah, go right ahead on the finale because yeah. we know you're on that as well. That must have been a crazy experience.
1: It was. Again, it was just an offer. I was not given a script. None of us were told what we would what would be saw, saying. You know, when we went on camera, um, we didn't know it was a trial. We really didn't know anything. So it was kind of a like a game show. We were all very nervous and excited, and I got to hang with all the great characters from Seinfeld. You know, the librarian uh, Wayne, I got to hang out with the, uh, super Nazi. I mean, I got yeah. all these incredible cliches right. that have become so America's darlings, you know, and Larry, he was like Robin Hood, robbing from the rich to give to his poor actor friends because the network loved him and the show so much that they milked a one half hour show and storyline into an hour and a half special. And he was getting so much money for the episode that he got us all trailers. I mean, we all had incredible trailers. The food was fantastic. Um, and then, you know, we each got our lines before we were in the court trial, uh, and, and you know, just delivered them uh, by the seat of our pants.
2: So that had to be That's that incredible. had to be such such an honor, right? They yeah. had nine seasons. I mean, we talked a bunch of them already. Incredible guest stars, and you were one of the very few. To get selected, come back. That must have really? felt
1: incredible. Well, yeah, I everybody was on it.
0: Oh no. no, not everyone. No, definitely not everyone. I mean, there had to be a there had to be a, like you know, like o'hara said. I mean, you know, they had to obviously want you to come back, but also the the story had to permit. I mean, everything about it had to fit, and it's just amazing. Yes, that, we all
1: um, had to suit George, uh sue the various characters for their self and selfishness and lack. right
0: <laughs> you might have been the biggest one actually you would be the main the main you know plaintiff in that uh in that trial I mean he, he ran out of a fire and knocked you and your mother over and children I mean that's it's about as bad as it gets as far as a uh, humanitarian move goes you know
1: yeah I think so I thought it was pretty sucky really I did <laughs> and, and you know that
0: that that speaking of that dark you know that Uh, episode was written by larry charles who's known for the dark episodes most of his episodes on seinfeld there's some sort of weird dark comedy involved and this one was no different and i believe you you i believe he worked on fridays too with you i don't know you know how much interaction yeah if you can maybe touch on him on the friday set or maybe the seinfeld set or the differences there or what it was like having him you know as a writer on that episode if he was you know involved at all
1: well, Larry Charles was like a kid, you know, I was a seasoned actress. I'd already done the New York thing and I was coming out the, uh, to Los Angeles as a professional. And Larry was just this kid from Boston. I think he was 18 at the time, but he was already married and had a child. So I was, wow. I didn't know what to make of him. He was just so unusual and he had a real punk kind of, you know, mentality. He wasn't uh, a Hollywood typewriter. He was just like a guy from the, from the, from the hood. And he wrote one of our first sketches that got us thrown off the air, which was Diner of the Living Dead. I don't know if you ever saw that on Fridays.
0: I don't know if I know that uh,
1: one. a zombie diner. (laughs) It sounds like (laughs)
0: Larry
1: Charles. (laughs) Absolutely. And they served things like hand sandwich, and you'd see like a hand on a bun with a side of spleen, and you'd see all these little spleens like deep fried. And um, all the waiters were zombies and you know, it was just hilarious. And of course, it got us thrown off several local stations in the South and in the Bible Belt. And I said, Oh, I'm going to hold on to my hat. Something strange is always going to come out of this guy. And it continued. I think he wrote the Transphibians, which was about humans that transitioned to become amphibians. (laughs) And they were like half men, half fish. Um, That was his. And they were all like, you know, and they had gills and well, this is before your time, clearly. I'm really.
0: Oh uh, yeah, we did I were just before our time, kind of. Yeah, the the Fridays. But we have but think, definitely seen clips and
2: everything. Yeah. But where you, you made your mark on that show was clearly the um the news. The Friday edition news, right?
1: I guess. Yeah,
2: I- and and then Nancy Reagan, those are always funny clips. I mean and I know you talked about it like in the book, kind of the nervousness um about appearing on Carson. Yeah. I'm just curious, and I'm trying to have some parallel here. <laughs> was there any nervousness <laughs> like Carson on joining uh, the set of Seinfeld, or was it just everyone was so familiar, it was just easy?
1: Oh, no, on Carson, they were all like icons. I had been watching them since I was a child. And um, I had a bevy of William Morris agents. They were kind of like cousins, you know, they always wanted to hang out with me when I was doing stand-up at the improv and stuff, and they came everywhere with me. And they were so nervous that it really shook me up. I had to ask them to leave the green room so that I could just be on my own. I went in the bathroom to hide from them, actually, because they were giving me all these notes that really made no sense to me. Now, hang in there, tiger, and you can do it. And it just made me more and more nervous. And um, I had had a pre-interview where they ask you a bunch of questions and they decide which ones Johnny will ask you based on the uh, spontaneity of your answer, the uh, color of your answer. And when I came out for the first time and went up on the dais and shook hands with Ed McMahon and then faced Johnny Carson, I was paralyzed. It was like looking at Mount Rushmore or the Lincoln Monument. It was so surreal to see his face moving and talking and smiling to me. And I talk a lot about how I felt inside during the interviews. He had me on a couple of times, actually. He liked me. I don't know why I was very strange on the show very nervous and kind of flippant and um <laughs> in any case he liked me he had me back because he wanted me to play nancy reagan to his ronald reagan and so we did a family feud episode i don't know if you guys remember that show of course uh, with of Richard course, yeah. Boston. yeah 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 yeah.
2: yeah the kissing yep
1: yeah <laughs> and johnny wanted me to hit him in the head when he made a mistake and I said, really? And he said, yeah. And so I hit him a little too hard in my zeal to please him. And his head went into the microphone and made a big <laughs> booming sound. And I was like, oh, my God, I've killed him. But he just loved it. He so wanted to be a sketch actor. You know, he'd been trapped on that, on that, on that stage with that chair and that desk for so many years, decades, actually. And he really liked doing sketch work. So it was very, a very great honor to play with him.
2: Yeah, I Ms. Mean, kind of, did you ever speak speaking of Nancy Reagan, did you ever have the chance to meet her?
1: No, I don't think she cared to meet me at. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I did a I did a whole event with Rich, Rich Little playing Ronald Reagan. We had a parade, we had like security and mo- motorcycles with us. I did an album with Rich Little as Nancy Reagan. Um, I was in a parade. Uh, I got a lot of mileage out of being Nancy Reagan and I remember when I was on the Carson show I said now don't be offended you do a really good impression of me too but I never heard from her but I did hang around with Patty Davis her daughter who was a guest star on the show on Fridays and she and I hung out and it was such a novel thing to hang out with a girlfriend and have the secret service like go into the restrooms with you go to the restaurant with you go to the screening and sit behind you was very different, they were very cool about it. They were like really good actors, but it was an interesting wow. period. She was rebelling against her parents at the time, which is one of the reasons she did our show right. yeah, she was really an upstart, but a great girl hi patty <laughs> so
2: speaking of so speaking of Fridays, um obviously we mentioned Larry David and uh Michael Richards again, that was what early eighties like how did they change? when you met them again, let's say, on the Seinfeld set? Were they as as you remember or completely different guys?
1: Well, they were much richer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: When I met them on the Seinfeld show, Larry had had much better therapy. He actually seemed kind of content. And I'd say, how are you? Are you depressed? He said, I'm still depressed, but I have, you know, a much better attitude about it. <laughs>
0: easier to handle it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Um, they seemed much more, shall I say, relaxed. First of all, it wasn't a live show. There wasn't a lot of competition as to who was gonna get stuff on the air on Fridays, like Saturday Night Live. There was always right. competition about whose material would, would get on. And that uh, tension was gone because Larry knew all his material would get on and Michael knew all his bits would be included. So they were very relaxed and very welcoming to me. Jerry too, I had known Jerry from being a stand-up. And he was very caring and genteel, and actually tried to order a product that I had just had patented from me. Uh, I had, yeah, had the,
0: the had water, it, right? Yeah, explain that.
1: A rotating drain. Hired an engineer to make the the thing for me because I'm not an engineer. And he wanted like three for his new house. And unfortunately, he didn't offer to manufacture it. It had not been manufactured <laughs> yet, so I was not able to provide that for him. But yeah, it's
0: manufactured but, now, though, right? Or It's out there now.
1: Other knockoffs, other styles of products uh, manufactured and infringed upon me uh, in Japan were uh, kind of supplanted my device. My device was a very simple T valve. When you used uh, the the drain of the shower, it was a dial, and you turn your foot to the right, and it would go to the recycling tank. And if you dialed your foot to the left, the water would go to the sewer septic tank. And unfortunately, it didn't take off. A lot of products were being thought up at the time. And mine was not the it girl
2: of the products. Well, if if only Shark Tank was around back then, you might have... Really,
1: no, I, I know.
2: <laughs> so, Larry David, you left him early 80s. So, did you ever... I mean, were you a fan of Seinfeld? I know, like, 1994, it was season five. Literally, the like, the peak of the show, in, in our mind. Um, did you ever get called um, to try out before that? Or was this the one and only... I actually
1: did right at its its inception, Um, but I was on a show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose at the time, and so I wasn't free to audition for it, and that was the one that got away. What a wonderful thing Julia Louis-Dreyfus had, and wow how she ran with it. Oh, the
2: Elaine Elaine part you were going to try
1: Yeah, Yeah. she
2: was
1: terrific, but um, no, and I didn't really hear from Larry again until right after the earthquake, and... um, you know he called me to come in i was hoping they'd call me in for something but i'd sort of put it on the back of my mind and i saw a lot of my other friends bruce Mahler, mary edith burrell other people from fridays were being hired and i thought well when is it my turn and when my turn came i just grabbed it even though it wasn't my favorite part in the world i wanted to be the low talker or the piano player or the you know i wanted to be <laughs> oh. one of the, the funny girls but um being a straight woman to George to Jace Alexander was a great honor. He, oh, it was
0: great. It, it was, un- it was an unbelievable role. I, and you know, you, your your incredible career. Um, it started on the stage. Um, you know, I was just curious what what you prefer. Like, where, where's your heart lie when it comes to, to acting? Is it the stage? Is it TV? Is it? I know your voiceover work. I mean, is it where? Where do you feel most? You know, at home, uh, as far as an actress goes.
1: Well, theater stages feel like my home. But frankly, um, I like working with terrific players in really good writing anywhere the hell it wants to be offered to me. (laughs) I just did a web series um, that I think is really great, and I have a great part. I hope it goes. And there was no money for that, but I just loved it. I love my part. I play a gay publisher who's kind of ethically approaching one of her authors in a, in, in a kind of an uh, inappropriate way. Um, yeah, I just, I love talented people. It's my abundance in life. It's my joy. I talk a lot about that in the book, you know, even if I'm not a big celebrity and making a fortune, I still get to work with such richly talented people, you know, at this phase, and I'm really, really pleased about it.
2: Yeah, you weren't, I mean, you've worked with a ton of, of great people. I mean, it, uh, you met Parker Lewis. Did you work with Tim Stack in Parker Lewis, Cam Lewis?
1: Yeah, he played Parker Lewis's father. He's, great. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, we had but him. Obviously. Yeah, he, he, he just joined the program he was great to talk to. Very incredible good. guy. Um, married with children. I'm curious about that. Did, did that come about through Mark Hirschfeld as well, or what was the connection there?
1: You know, um, I had auditioned for the original series um to play the neighbor next door oh and i loved the whole premise of that show i loved the sardonic attitude towards suburban families it was the anti-sitcom i was dying to be on it and i let them know that but i didn't get to be on it and so they brought me in for this attorney role i play the attorney to a a thief that breaks into uh into ed neal's house al's house yeah Al gets into a fight with him and he, and he gives the guy a, 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 a broken neck or something. And so I was the attorney for The Thief, suing Al for his abusive treatment of my client, The Thief. That's one of my favorite shows. Of my of what? Yeah, and I mean. Had, and I won because I had had an affair in college with my professor who turned out to be the judge in the case. So that was how I, I ended up winning. <laughs> It was a great part. I got to work with Christina Applegate and all of them. You know, a joy. What can I say? Wonderful actors. Well,
2: another wonderful actor, comedian, and I forgot to bring it up, from the Fire episode is um, Dom Herrera, Ronnie Ronnie K., the prop comic. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In the bar scene, I mean, yeah, you had some really great... You were in, like, three main scenes, right? Or four, actually. Like, the beginning with George... You're lying yes. with George.
0: It's over. It's over for Bozo. Is The way you deliver that one, I don't know if you remember 30 years ago now, but it was a great just like you're, it's over for Bozo. You finally just like had to let him happen. It's just, Heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it was wonderful. Everybody on the show was fantastic. Most of them had been offered their roles. They didn't have to audition. So uh, everybody was really cool and felt very loose and uh, at ease. It was really a great show to be on.
2: Yeah, I mean, So you were, were you a Seinfeld fan? I mean, I know that was, it was season five, but were you actually like a big fan, like watching all the episodes? You seem to mention like the Low Talker and all that stuff. It seems like you were in tune with what was going on.
1: Will you keep this under your hat? I mean, I was a sporadic watcher and that year (laughs) I wasn't watching at all, really. So it came like a shock, a shock out of the blue when I heard from them. Um, I was a sporadic watcher. I can't say that I was a big fan of any sitcom. Larry's mm-hmm. would have been the one I was a fan of, if you know. I was sort of in television, and like if you're a secretary, you don't go home and type all night, you know. So <laughs> I was in television so right. much, I didn't have this tendency to go home and relax watching television. So sporadic, and I didn't know a lot of the running gags, and I didn't know. So I, Larry Charles had to sort of give me a quick primer on why all the women are contemptible, contemptuous of George. I said, oh, I didn't know that. I just thought I, I liked him. Uh, he says no you're not taking him seriously at all i said "Oh, i'm not i thought i was seeing him as a father for my child and all that stuff
0: yeah, you got to reverse everything with that and i had to
1: get yeah, more cynical uh, yes him although in front of my mother at the birthday party where the hamburger fire started i was very upbeat you know i wanted my mother to like him and i wanted my son to like him and, all that.
2: <laughs> and she did she's like you seem like such a yeah, wonderful yeah she did woman. love him yeah knocked
0: over obviously a stunt man but it's still an amazing move when he just elbows her down um incredible yeah john john favreau was in there that was pre-swingers i mean that might have been one of his i think rudy had maybe come out but i don't think i'm not even sure i think it was taped maybe not even come out yet by that point that was might have one of his first roles i mean i don't know how much interaction you had with him but like you said, he's got out to some, some pretty big things.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I had no idea what he would become. And I did see Swingers. Heather Graham was a friend of mine. We were in acting class together. Oh, wow. I met her mother sometimes. So I was very interested in that. And then when I saw it was him in the film, I knew him without the clown makeup. Um, <laughs> and I saw that he directed and created it. I was uh, blown away. It was like, all right. You know, one of the extras. He's come, you know, come out of the chorus and into a starring role. <laughs> I also love that thing he did. Was it called The Chef? It was about a, yes. a, a trailer. A, a, what do you call it? A, a truck a truck restaurant. What do you call those things? Food truck. Yeah. Food truck. Food truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing it. You're seeing it now. So, yeah, he was great in that. He created that, too. I mean, he's a genius.
2: Yeah. He's, he, he's had a great career. And, I mean, you've had a great career. And, you know, for us, this, this is really special. Because, I mean, the fire... Listen, they did 168 episodes. We rank it. We did rankings. We ranked the fire 35th in to
1: wow. the top 10. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, It's I just a special that, episode. And the We had, yeah. had
1: about 120 girlfriends. And then when there was a listing of the most beautiful girlfriends on Friday on, on uh, Seinfeld, I was number 120. So just to put it, things in perspective.
0: Oh, that's not who, who, who I mean, made that yeah, list. Yeah, no. If it's not from us, it's not. It's not a definitive Seinfeld list. We'll 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 make sure to put that list out. Melody, down Robin, correct.
2: Top five girlfriend, hands down.
0: We'll correct that, that list.
1: Thank you very much, Chris.
0: <laughs> this has been amazing, Melody. We really appreciate your time. And uh, where where can where can people get your book? I mean, obviously Amazon. But you know, I just want to make sure that. Um, you know, um, is that the best place to get it? Amazon? Just uh, there's uh, lots
1: of places you can get it on Apple Books or Barnes and Noble. You can go to my website, melaniechartoff.com, and it's right on the front page. Just click the link.
0: <laughs> I actually it, listened to it with your narration. I like the Audible versions now. That's what I do. Yeah, now.
1: I think um I it's think amazing. the Audible is my best because I perform all the stories. Yeah, you do. You do like
0: your mom's voice at times, your dad's voice. Yeah, it's really uh yeah, really cool.
1: and I get to sing on it. I get to sing a few times, so that was fun too. Well, thank you so much for, for looking at my yeah, book. I thank really you, Melanie.
0: This was great. We really it's, appreciate my it. My book
1: is a five star hit on Amazon and um it's building numbers. So I have high hopes for it.
2: It's great. It's uh it's a great read. It's 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 really taking a deep dive and you really open it up and it's it's really inspirational. So thank you.
1: Thank you. And good luck. Thank you, with Melanie. Your show.
0: Thank you. appreciate it. And hope. say hi to your mother. I mean, God bless. That's, that's amazing. I, you know, have a safe trip. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Melanie. Have, have a great night.
1: You too.